0: Hi, I'm Namusa. And I'm Adana. And this is the Africana Podcast. Nah, no, I don't know uh, what our words really are. It's okay,
1: we'll make them all. We'll make them up. No one knows what we are saying,
0: but it's. <laughs> All right. Hi, everyone. Hi, listeners. Hope you're having a good day. I am here with a very special guest, Amos Mutiga. He has a YouTube channel called Papa Bear Kenya, where he discusses fatherhood in the modern era. And I thought he would be a really great voice for our Ally episode, where you've heard a bunch of different perspectives from across the continent. So thank you so much, Amos, for being with us today.
1: Hi, listeners. Hi, everybody. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Aljana, this is an amazing opportunity. I love the work that you, you guys are doing. I think your podcast is, is amazing. But um, thanks for the opportunity. Um, thanks for the intro as well. I don't know if I could add anything to that. Um, thank you.
0: Thank you so much for the kind words. But quickly give the listeners a sense of what Papa Bear Kenya is and why you started it.
1: Okay, so Papa Bear Kenya is an initiative that I have to foster, to encourage exceptional fatherhood. You know, one of the dynamics, one of the narratives that's going around in the world today is that a lot of men are not taking up their role as fathers. And in my opinion, society is suffering as a result. And so I thought this would be a way to help equip and empower fathers, really, a platform where we can share our thoughts, ideas, experiences in order to, to be more exceptional in our fatherhood. My personal experience with fatherhood, it's been going on 12 years now. And uh, it was very sort of fly by the seat of your pants kind of thing where I had no idea what I was doing. I had no information. Uh, My wife was way better prepared for her motherhood than I was for my fatherhood. And I felt that that's a gap um, in society. And I'm trying to do something to, to alleviate that because I, I believe a lot of men are in the same boat where you're you're doing the best you can, but uh, you really don't know much and there's not much support for the father. So yeah, hopefully this initiative gets to accelerate better fatherhood uh, in the future.
0: Well, I've watched all episodes of Papa Bear Kenya, just step one, I should share. Oh. My favorite oh, nice. one... My favorite one, or the one rather that I resonated the most with was the talk about authoritarian fathers, because (laughs) I think that is one that many many of us can relate to. Um, My fellow children of immigrants... Definitely can yes. relate to this. I don't know anybody that was a child of immigrants and their immigrant father was not authoritarian. Maybe that will change. Like the children of children of immigrants, maybe have a different shot. But for what I experienced, yeah, I just was watching that episode. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh
1: huh. <laughs> um, tick 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 tick. You had all the check boxes. Tick. T-tick.
0: Yeah. So my question, I think, before I get into the other questions is what differences you see in the way you were parented versus the way that you parent and perhaps the implications of that?
1: Well, um, so the video that you just mentioned is actually the first of a series of videos that uh, I, I you know, plan to do over the next few weeks about different types of fathers. And I think the authoritarian one is one that many of us relate to. I had an authoritarian father. Well, our relationship is a much more peaceful one now, but I think growing up, there was a, quite a lot of um, that kind of uh, thing from dad. He's still alive. We have a really good uh, relationship right now. And I think one mm. of the differences I, I have is I'm, I'm a bit more aware about that dynamic than, than I was uh, before. You know, I know I have a tendency towards authoritarianism in my own fatherhood. And, you know, just being aware of that and trying to tone it down and trying to be a lot more relational with my kids. I think my dad, maybe for lack of a better example, felt he had to be sort of like the, the tough guy. But, you know, mm. he, he did it out of, out of a good place. You know, his heart was in the right place. And I, I don't know if there's any father, any, anyone in my generation who had a father who was anything but authoritarian. So I think it's something that was, was cut across that whole generation of, of fathers. But, you know, I think I'm a bit more informed, a bit more knowledgeable about some of these dynamics than probably he was at my age. And so mm. I'm trying to be a little bit more relational with my kids it's a slippery slope when you start moving in the other direction because it's very sure. easy to move from authoritarianism to just total neglect and, and permissiveness and so trying to find the balance is a bit tricky but but i'd like to think that uh i've learned a lot from my dad both from the experiences that i had when he was raising me as a child and also from some of the conversations that we you know we've had now that i'm a father and that i i you know uh, resented some of the things that he had to do to discipline us but Being a father now, I kind of get it. I I see where he's coming from, what he was trying to do. So the conversations I have with him are a little more rich for that. Um, So I think that's the difference between me and my dad.
0: So I don't even have kids yet, and I already totally get why my parents were (laughs) the way they were. (laughs) Because I can only imagine now in this era of social media and internet and devices and... You know, I think every generation has, of course, many differences, but I do feel that technology and the advancement of technology and the fact that you have, you know, effectively what used to be a supercomputer in your pocket at the age of now, two years old, three years old, kids know how to swipe things. And it's, you know, I can only imagine what now I would be like, you know, now that I'm kind of, I've skipped... The non-tech generation. It's now too late for my future children to not be involved in that world. So I totally get it. And I think for me, I started becoming friends with my parents, probably around college or university. And I think it's because perhaps even they felt like their job was done. Not necessarily that they, you know, completely absolved themselves of any responsibility in my life. They're still very present. But I think the big goal was like, just mentally was get her to university. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I think once that happened, I think they they exhaled a little bit. And as a result, that kind of breathed in a different type of energy into our relationship because, you know, we go on family vacations every year and, you know, they're, they're my friends now, as opposed to, you know, you have to read all the books on the book report list, even if only five were required, <laughs> you know? <laughs>
1: wow. Like you're, you're somebody else's problem once you got to university, huh?
0: I think so. I, you
1: know, I kind of... <laughs> You know, I kind of, I, I totally get the dynamic. And, and uh, you know, this this conversation is a podcast on its own. But just to touch briefly on what some of what you've just mentioned, I mean, we're in an age where our kids are so informed. When I was growing up, one of the things my dad used to say repeatedly, and it rings in my head every time, is that you never say you don't know. If you ask your question, you have to have some sort of answer. You need to know what you're talking about. And that thing rings in my head all the time because my kids ask me questions all the time. And it's stuff that I really don't know. I mean, my son is nine. He'll ask me, you know, So what's the difference between an orca and uh, and a white whale? Just some random stuff. And I've got no idea what he's talking about. And in my head, I'm thinking, I can't tell him I don't know. You know, I'm I'm dad. You know, what, what what does that look like for me as the man of the house to not know everything? You know, my dad knew everything. At least I thought he did. So... Being aware that, you know, we're growing up in an age where there's so much information. My kids are learning so many things from so many different places. They have so much information at their fingertips, their their phones, the internet. There's there's just so much they know. They know a lot more than I did at their age. I'd like to think they know more than I do at my age now. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a change. It's a different way of parenting. We're no longer the only authority in terms of information. There's other places they're getting info from. And I just, I shudder to think what life will be like 15, 20 years from now when these guys are growing up with this kind of information. I mean, my, my, my last one is, is is five now, but when she was, I don't know, two years old, she knew how to get into my phone, get unlock the screen, get to the YouTube app and start watching her thing. She'd look for Peppa Pig and those are the things she watches and she'd know when to skip ads. So she'd wait for the thing to run for five seconds and she'd skip it and watch the video. This is a two-year-old. I'm thinking, wow, this thing you know information at your fingertips thing is so much for our kid I'm at this age I, I don't know what it's going to be like in twenty years out are not to have to be honest, but you know it's, it's a different age. we're not parenting like our parents did, so we have to mm. change with the terms I think
0: yeah, what you just said, that scenario my heart rate it just on its own went up because like when I put, <laughs> if I put my tin hat, my tin hat conspiracy theory on, I would say that this is exactly how the machines take over because you have kids. <laughs> you know ordering alexa to play a song ever since they were 2 years old and to them that's a normal thing whereas to us yeah. you know anybody over the age of 15 realizes that that's very new that's not a you know <laughs> we didn't have that you know so i think this is really how anyway this yeah. is another that's like another podcast after the other podcast which is this is how the machines take over so stay <laughs> woke but anyway the reason we asked you to hear today so this is our our ally episode and so With so many things happening around the world, around both, you know, the topic of feminism and, like, who it includes, and also gender-based violence, particularly in South Africa, but, of course, in so many different places. And, of course, Namusa and I have talked about, you know, harassment, sexual harassment in the workplace and, you know, just dating, which sometimes kind of the implications of, of, you know decency and human rights kind of intersect even just on a tinder chat you know about like getting some pictures that you didn't ask for <laughs> it's like uh I'm, hi I said, how are you was really what i was asking and I that wasn't a euphemism i did not need to see that and so you are actually a part of a small group of male guests who are breaking the africana glass ceiling uh because we've never we've never interviewed uh, men before. And so we've been very intentional about making sure that we highlighted young women who are doing really amazing things across the continent. And we've, I think we've done a pretty good job of that as they're in music and international arbitration and financial management, etc. But we wanted to do this one because there are just certain conversations where you need other people and other perspectives. And so if people are wondering, well, you know, what does this have to do with allyship? For me, it was a very clear link because fathers are raising the next allies. And they are themselves being allies when they raise their children, regardless of of gender. So my first actual scheduled question for (laughs) this interview is what does the term ally mean to you? And does it mean something different or perhaps have different implications in Kenya versus, you know, perhaps where the term kind of originated from, which is I would imagine the Twitter sphere of the West.
1: Well, You know, when we had this conversation earlier on and you know, you talk about what you're doing. Um, I, I thought long and hard about what that means, you know, to be perfectly honest, you know, I've never thought of the word ally in this context of, mm. you know, coming alongside women to handle issues that touch on women, really. I've always personally struggled with the whole thing of women having to do things separately for women. I, mm. In my mind, I struggle with that because I feel like we're all equal. We should all have equal opportunity. And maybe I'm just an idealist, but um, mm-hmm. sometimes I struggle with that whole thing of doing things separately for women um, in, in, in a good and so when I think about the word and you know having had some time to think about it, I think it's really about coming alongside women to deal with essentially institutionalized areas of unfairness that women unfortunately have to deal with every day uh, you mentioned some of them in terms of things like sexual harassment you know things like workplace discrimination and, and stuff like that which women deal with every day and I can only imagine what that's like being a man having grown up male I can only imagine what that's like but I see it every day and so the extent mm-hmm. to which I'm able to then help deal or you know, negate some of those bad practices that we have in life around us, all around us every day, is what makes me an ally. I'd like to think that this initiative that I've started about Papa Bear and fatherhood is somehow aligned to that. But for uh, mm. the most, it's not enough. It's not the only thing. There's many things. The society that we live in today, at least historically, has been geared towards the man. But uh, it's been a man's world for a long time. And, you know, women are are breaking into that and and breaking the glass ceilings and breaking some of the barriers that have been set. I think personally that uh, we as men, if we've not realized it already, we've already been disrupted in terms of our dominance in the world, you know. Um, And I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot more power, a lot more authority that women have today compared to, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And we as men don't realize it yet. And we still think that, you know, this is still a man-male dominated world. I think even women don't realize that yet, that there's so much power, so much authority that's out there that men mm-hmm. don't realize yet what, what women are able, able to do or what women are already doing. So I think being an ally means sort of aligning with that effort and being part of the change that you know, makes the playing ground more even for everybody, male or female. Um, mm-hmm. Does it differ from other parts of the world? I think so. I mean, I think just an African context has traditionally been very male-dominated uh, historically. I think probably the change is happening faster in other parts of the world. But I think this part of the world and Kenya in particular is still, you know, we're still in the throes of the whole patriarchy. And this is a man's world kind of thinking, in my view.
0: Hmm. And so when you say doing things separately for women, are you saying that in terms of policy, like government policy? Is that in terms of opportunities? What does it mean to you? I guess what's an example of something that is something that is separate for women only that you traditionally struggled with?
1: So I think about something like, um, say, if you're going to put out like a like a job ad, for example, um,
0: mm, okay.
1: and you know you're going to recruit a manager, director, or somebody at a certain level. Um, mm-hmm. There's often uh, a line that's put in there that you know we're an equal opportunity employer, which can mean many things, but for the most part, essentially means that we want men and women to join in as 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 much as possible. So it, mm-hmm. to me, it seems like. Women, you know, I've grown up, I have classmates, I have friends, colleagues who who are women who are equally, if not more capable than I am at doing any job that's put before them. Granted, there's Mm -hmm. certain work that is sort of gender specific because of the nature of the work. But for the most part, any managerial or any office related work can be done by anyone, really. So I used to struggle. I still struggle with that sometimes because I feel like you know it should, we shouldn't even have to talk about that. It should just be a question of can you do the job, whether you're male or female, is a secondary consideration. That's what I mean by by sort of the the, the conflict in my mind.
0: Right. Does, does that make sense? I think yeah yeah. So I think for me, when I think about these terms, and I know in the U.S. context you know, there are sometimes preferences for race, right? And so one would say, well, you know, it's just a matter of who's competent. But then you also look at university admissions, you know, in the case of, you know, just my own brief context where, you know, if you're a legacy student, you get points as well, right? But nobody really attacks the fact that someone's dad went to Harvard. They're just mad that it's the black kid who went to Harvard and maybe he got a point for being black. But the legacy kid also got a point too. And the athlete also got a point too. And I think for me... I hear what you say on the idealism, because for me, I think these these points and these, you know, asterisks at the end of a, of a JD, it's less about, I think, what should happen, but it's more about yeah. what wouldn't happen if that wasn't there. Because mm. humans humans consistently disappoint on this. <laughs> and mm. I think mm. also when you see... You know, even the work that I do and the field that I'm in, you know, how much money, what percentage of venture capital funding goes to women entrepreneurs. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if decision makers are left to their own devices, they will keep perpetuating the biases that they grew up with. At, at some point, even experience themselves. But when mm-hmm. it comes to making a call, they will often go to what they know. So yep. that's how I think, that's what those policies mean to me. It's effectively... We know what it, the world should be like and we know what the ideal is, but we also know yeah. that, you know, left to their own devices, decision makers will pretty much do more of the same. And so I think yeah. it's a reminder to be more intentional. And, you know, of course, like if the, oh, if if it turns out that no woman applied that was qualified, well, A, then you should figure out yeah. like if your pipeline is, what's wrong with your pipeline and who you can, you know, how you can fix that. But, you know, if you had five men mm-hmm. and five women and legitimately the, the guy was the best one. Um, yeah and you know you pick the guy and that's you know that's cool too um, but it's more that you you tried um, yeah. because i think a lot of folks without it just don't try and they're not intentional i've thought about this as well and i think that's kind of how i i come down on it so the next question is a bit related to what you spoke to earlier but cuz you were kind of effectively said that you know thinking about this term and what it means to you and you know am i one so i guess how and when I guess, well, it's a little bit, the answer is a bit different because of what you've just said. But the original question was, how and when did you learn to become an ally and why is it important? But I guess yeah. what I'll ask instead is, like now that you have this like renewed understanding, can you see elements in your yeah. examples in your life where you have done this work or you have been an ally?
1: Yeah. So, yes, I think uh, becoming more aware of um, sort of the, 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 the bias in the world happened maybe later on in, in, in my life. I mean, growing up, you know, your, in school with, with girls, half my classmates were girls, all the way through to university. You know, we would we'll compete on almost an equal level. Well, not really almost, but really on an equal level. You know, there was no bias at that level. But getting into the workplace, uh, getting to a more professional setting, then the biases become a bit more clear. And even at that point, it wasn't clear to me that I needed to take a stand to, to become an ally. Well, even just the nature, the, the notion of, of uh, playing that role was not clear to me at that point. I think it, mm-hmm. it really became clear to me actually had an experience once uh, in a place I used to work uh, before where one of my colleagues, so we had a shared office and there was, uh, this person wasn't, well, I called him a colleague because we used to work in the same space, but they were really working within a different organization. And um, we, were, mm. we were friends and we'd talk every now and then. And she told me she was being sexually harassed by um, somebody senior in her organization. And mm. it was weird because this person who was harassing her was uh, someone I knew. I wouldn't call him a friend, but he's someone I I was familiar with. And it it was one of those really weird situations because, you know, at the time, I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel at the time it was my place to sort of set the guy straight because in my mind it wasn't clear that uh, the harassment was actually happening there wasn't any evidence or, or any of the sort at the time and so in my mind i you know i i felt bad about what was happening i felt it was wrong but i felt like i couldn't do anything about it and then it, it came clear to me because then read a story of somebody else who was in a similar situation and sort of like some of the actions that she did uh, her story ended up um well fairly better because she got justice for what was happening the person who was harassing her ended up leaving there was a whole hula around it. Uh, so when when I read that story, I realized I, I could have done better. And it's at that point that I realized, mm-hmm. you know, these biases are real, that um, the playing field is not even. I, I, I always thought that I could get into any space and I'd be competing at an evil and even footing with anybody else. But that's not necessarily the case. So that that mm-hmm. experience... I think it's probably the turning point where I realized it's not enough to just feel bad or to have a sense of indignation. You know, you kind of need to do something uh, beyond that. Mm. I can't honestly say that uh, Papa Bear was, uh, as a result of that experience, Papa Bear was born out of a completely different experience. But I think there's an alignment there where what can we do to inform or to attack or to address, or not even address, but really expose and identify some of these biases and where they occur because they don't happen um, in a vacuum. They happen because of certain perceptions that people have grown up with. Um, I grew up knowing that there's certain things that women are supposed to do and men can't do certain things. So, growing up with those biases is what informs a lot of the, the harassment that we see today and some of the negative things that we see around mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, gender inequality. So, this initiative around raising fathers hopefully helps to get fathers into a place where they're teaching the kids that these biases are not, are not cool and, you know, we need to do things differently. I think also raising girls myself, because I have two daughters, um, also, it also brings that into stark uh, view to me because, you know, that could be my daughter 20 years from now being harassed by one of her colleagues or one of her bosses. You know, is my daughter going to have the same opportunities at work and in other places professionally in any other part of her life that a, a boy of her age or even younger would have. And uh, what am I teaching her about the reality of life that, you know, you're going to go out there and you're not going to get things handed over to you. You are in some, to some extent, you're going to be expected to do, to do more, to work harder. So what am I teaching her about that? And how am I teaching her to, at the same time, recognize the value that men would bring? Because, you know, I don't want her to think that, you know, that that all men are bad, that all men are trying to, to do her in, but she needs to have a sense of balance. They both need to have a sense of balance. So what am I doing about that now? So I think becoming a father also was a turning point for me in this whole discussion. What is it that I'm doing to raise the next generation, the ones who are right next to me?
0: Okay, thanks for that. And so, you know, if you could put up a billboard, right, and you knew that all young people who identify as men in Africa and all young people who identify as women in Africa, if they were going to see it, like, what is it one thing that you want young men in Africa to know? And one thing you want young women in Africa to know? And if it's easier to perhaps put this down to distill this to Kenya, you can do that as well.
1: Well, heavy question, Adjana. I think the big message I would like to leave is that we all have a role to play and that everybody needs to pull their way. Society works better when everybody is doing what they, they're meant to do or they, they're designed to do. And again, this comes from my idealistic mm-hmm. um, mentality. Because I'm an idealist. That's that's how I think. Uh, I think ideally, what needs to happen is mm-hmm. that every man needs to to be building something. Everyone needs to be working on something. Every woman needs to be working on something, building something. I think part of the problem we have is mm-hmm. when you're not clear about what your purpose, your mission, your 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 drive in life is, then you end up nitpicking and trying to find fault with what other people are doing. You know, so having a clear sense mm-hmm. of purpose as an individual, um, as individuals generally, is is one step closer to us working together. Because then I ask myself, how does this contribute to my mission in life? I'm not spending my time harassing other women or or catcalling or doing other random stuff. I'm busy focused on my goal or my hustle or what I'm building. So I think what I tell young people is, what's, what are you building? What problems are you solving? Focus on that, because that is what will give you the drive and the focus you need to avoid all this other distraction. because that, what, that's what this other stuff is. It's just a distraction, really. Uh, we need to be focused on, on what we're trying to do. What problems are we seeing around us? And there are numerous problems in Africa. What role am I playing to fix those problems? That keeps me focused on mm. that, as opposed to all these other unnecessary uh, drama. That's me. That's my idealistic speaking. My idealistic personal speaking.
0: It reminds me of the quote, which I only half remember, but maybe you can finish it. Something about idle hands doing something. Yeah, the devil's work.
1: Good. That uh, The <laughs> idle mind is a devil's workshop. Yeah, that's yeah.
0: it. <laughs> that's something it. along those okay. lines. Yeah.
1: Thank
0: you. I was like, yeah, I only know the half of that first part of that saying. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting. I guess, yeah. If everyone, so your thought is around people's people getting in touch with their purpose and once you kind of know what you're living for and working toward, it helps eliminate some of the other, what's the word? Externalities, I guess. But I guess then, you know, what if you have, you know, this guy who knows exactly what he wants out of life, you know, he's a banker, or he's a lawyer, you know, and he's really great at work, and he has his KPIs, and he as OKRs and you know whatever the term is for different offices around the world, and he's he's hitting those targets. He's like super. He like he's in his bag. He's like he loves his work. He's meant for it. He's built for it. But then he still comes home and like you know hits his wife every once in a while. So what happens when you, people still have their purpose, but that yeah. still doesn't translate to them doing better? And, you know, this is not even yeah. just in the context of, you know, you know, gender based violence or domestic violence. But, you know, he could also be not so great of a person in other areas. I mean, I think there are many people in this world who got, have their purpose together, still not yeah. so great as people. So where is that gap for you? Where, where do you see that gap happening and how do you fill that gap?
1: So one of, one of the things that I've, uh, I've learned in the course of the last few years, really, is, that, is the, the power of information, the power of, um, of, of knowledge. And that knowledge comes partly from what you consume, what's around you, what you, what you, what you read and, and all that, but largely comes out of experience. So what you've gone through sort of informs your, your worldview. Mm-hmm. So for that lawyer who's high-flying, doing his thing, you know, changing the world, but beats his wife, Chances are that's what he grew up knowing that his father probably used to beat his, his mom. And so that, that's his experience, that's his worldview, which is informed by how he grew up. Uh, that's part of the problem. That's something that we're not going to change overnight. People's attitudes and behaviors. I mean, you can change people's practices uh, and their behavior through, you know, enforcing it. You know, someone like that, you know, threatening with, with prison time or something of the sort, and they'll stop doing it, but it will not change his attitude or his thinking towards that issue. So I think there's on one, on the one hand, there's a need for, uh, I like what you used earlier, policy. Like, you know, this is what the law says, this is what you can and cannot do. And, and at the pain of, of um, some sort of penalty or some sort of punishment, But at the same time, uh, I think we need to move beyond that to changing the way people think about this issue. So that people are not beating, or people have stopped beating up their wives or getting into gender-based violence, not because there's a punishment attached to it, but because they realise that it's wrong. And that's not that's not something that's going to happen overnight. That's not going to happen in, in a generation. That's going to take a while to, to to turn around. And that's where the whole parenting dynamic comes in. I think a lot of people's experiences are largely based on their how they how they were they were raised as children. Mm-hmm. Um, you can learn stuff during your working days and your working life. But I think a lot of our behavior, attitude and outlook on life is based on our childhood and our upbringing. So I think, you know, changing that dynamic, that narrative around how our kids are raised and the things that they mm-hmm. see us doing and the things that they see the people around us doing um, and exposing them to the right information, the right, the right um, environment is going to ultimately lead us in the right direction. But like I said, this is not, not going to happen overnight. But I think mm-hmm. that's the thing. We need to have obviously you have to have the have policy piece in place, but we need to change how we raise our kids because that that is what's going to make the difference in the long run. Uh, in my view, mm-hmm.
0: as a, every day that goes by that I get older, I start to feel that or start to believe and further entrench myself in the belief that therapy should be free and available to all. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think what you said is a little bit of that. <laughs> yes, I think parenting and then. For those who have already been parented, therapy.
1: (laughs) If necessary, that's, that's what we need. I mean, I can't tell you, I wasn't the kind of person who was looking forward to being a dad. I mean, it wasn't something on my radar you know, they're to look forward to it, you know, much more excitedly. I think I, it, it sort of just happened to me, but I've enjoyed it thoroughly. And I think, you know, um, a lot of people don't look forward to fatherhood. A lot of people don't look forward to parenting because they see it as a, a huge burden, a huge problem, something that I'm going to have to do for the rest of my life. I'm going to have to deal with these brats for the rest of my life. And it's seen in a negative light by many people. But yeah, I think that needs to change. I think it's a good thing; it gives you a lot of purpose in life, a lot of a strong sense of purpose in life when you are actively raising or influencing the next generation. At least that's been my
0: experience. No, I think it's a it's a complete and total honor and responsibility. I think we definitely shouldn't shy away from the difficulties of it and how hard it is. But I, yeah, I can I can imagine molding a human, but also allowing them to grow and be themselves and not and not put your own baggage onto them is a delicate art that I don't know how many, what mm-hmm. the percentage no. breakdown is of people who can do that successfully or not. But similar to you, I'm not, it's not that I don't want to be a mom. I just, it's not something on my list of things to do in the immediate and near term. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it's perhaps because, A, I know how serious it is. You know, there's no take backs, you know, when, when you get into <laughs> it. Uh, I mean, there are, actually. You can give your child up for adoption. Let me not say that, like, you can't do that. But, you know, ideally, I would not like to do that. And so I take it very seriously. So for me, it's, you know, I had I had university schoolmates who, you know, I lived in a room of a uh, suite of six women. And many of them said that they couldn't wait to be a mom. Like, oh, that's what we're here for. And I'm like, ooh, okay, well, uh, so. And you, know, you just, like, respectfully disagree. But, like, just know that there are some women who love it and that's all they've wanted to do, whereas... For me, I think it's very, as a single young woman, I think it's very much tied to finding someone to do this with. Like, I don't have that, like, I'm not running to freeze my eggs. I'm not running to go to a sperm (laughs) bank. And I have friends, you know, and I'm not even joking. I have friends who are doing both uh, because they've tried dating. It hasn't worked. And their their desire to be a mother has now, you know, superseded the fact or exceeded the fact that they can't find someone to do that journey with. Whereas for me, the journey with the, the person that I'm doing it with is like the most important part before any kids get involved. Because if I can't find that, then it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. I don't know if I've wanted enough to do it by myself. Can you imagine? I am actually the only hope. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. So
1: the pressure must be on. I mean, your folks must be on your case all the time.
0: I mean, they're they're actually, and yeah. people will say this, I mean, my friends call my parents unicorns because they're very atypical from uh, your average Ethiopian parents, um, which probably explains how yeah. I became this way. Um, but mm-hmm. they, they actually, they didn't really start saying anything until I turned 30. And then all of a sudden, you know, there'd be some questions like, so, you know, have you met anyone? <laughs>
1: Not <laughs> so Where, subtle you know, hints, huh? Just uh... you know, there was
0: nothing. There was nothing for thirty years. You know, they were very, you know, yeah. hands off. Didn't. But now, you know. And then I go to Thanksgiving yeah. a year ago, and you know, my aunts were like, "Oh, you know, we need a we need to dance. We need a party. When are you giving us a party? I'm like, I, you don't need me for that.
1: <laughs> you That's can a, look a man. I, I by can for, yeah, I can invite you for my birthday. We can do a big thing at my next birthday. I mean, yeah. party. What, what are you talking about? You know,
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: So, yeah, no, no. I mean, I mean, I get it the whole the whole relationship dynamic is um, is another whole thing altogether, which, you know, we can't ignore uh, because uh, ideally you're talking about raising a family and a family is, uh, is, is several people, including my man and a wife. So, you know, ident- I identify first and foremost as, as a husband and I've been fortunate in that, you know, my wife and I have a good relationship and we work together we have ups and downs, but we're pretty much a good, a solid unit. But that's not the case for most people. For a lot of people, that's, you know, relationships struggle. And then how does that affect and upbringing of the child. I think our parents' generation were a lot more stoic, maybe during the time we were growing up, because I think mm-hmm. then, you know, we see uh, a lot of sort of separations and divorces happening in, in older age. At least that's been my sort of experience, limited experience in Kenya, that you find people who've been married for, I don't know, 40, 50 years, and then they start separating when the, the kids are all gone and everything. So, so that happens a lot. Uh, I think there was a stronger sense of you know, this has to work no matter what in terms of relationships where our parents were concerned. I think the, the younger, our generation has a lower tolerance for relationships that aren't working. So there's, you know, we're quicker to to move on. Um, I think we have, a, we place a higher premium on happiness than on uh, the stability of the continuity of our relationship. So you have a lot of people who separate at a very, at a very, at a fairly young age. I uh, have friends who, you know, divorce after a year of marriage. So that happens a lot. And And, and you know, there's a number of reasons why that happens. I think of myself was fortunate in that regard. But I think there's, it's a different way of looking at life that uh, our, our folks had that we don't have.
0: I think we have about three podcast ideas <laughs> uh, between the two of us. So one, one uh, question, which kind of relates a bit to what you've said before, but I wonder if asking it in this way leads to a different insight. But what is something you're not proud of or you regret most in your own past treatment of women? And what have you learned? from
1: that moment and since. Yeah, I mean, I thought a lot about that particular question and I know nobody likes to sort of talk about what they're not happy or not proud of. I think I could could have done more to defend or to protect those people around me who I was in a position to protect who were under pressure work-wise, uh, of a uh, sexual harassment nature. Mm. I know, I, I know, I've encountered a few of those in 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 my, in my time, and uh, I could have done more to to protect them, um, to advise, and just really to put the people who were perpetrating it in their place in terms of um, you, you know, just stating the, the the fact. I think there was some cultural issues around that in terms of the culture of the organization, uh, which I, I could have done more to to, to prevent or to stop. And, and I'm I'm not proud of that. I think moving forward, I I have a bit more clarity around what what I can do. I think I've I've gone through enough experiences in life to be aware of the fickleness of life and of, of things around us and just not to be afraid of upsetting the apple cart or doing something that would be permanently damaging to either to my career or my reputation in the defense of someone who needs my help. So I think I'm, I'm in a better place now in terms of what I know about about myself, about life, about careers, about work, to be able to do better. But I regret not doing more uh, when some of these situations are presented to me.
0: Mm. And so what would you advise or tell other, you know, your fellow African or Kenyan men as it relates to being an ally?
1: I think, um, so what's happened, in my view, what's happened over the last few years is uh, men uh, are undergoing an identity crisis, and I say this all the time because I think this is this is happening that um, the traditional role of the man has changed dramatically. I think there is more that women are able to do and more that women are able are uh, willing to do that we as men mm-hmm. uh, were were aware of in the past and what has then happened is our identity as men is being threatened uh, it's not it's inadvertent you know it's not like women are saying you guys are not good enough, but the things that we grew up knowing were roles of the man, for example, things around like protection, for example, and, you know, making money and providing money for the home, all that is being, is changing. And I think for men, what we need to realize is that, uh, number one, our identity as men doesn't change. Who we are is who we are. I think we don't need to feel threatened. A lot of you know uh, the abuses that happen are to some extent because of that feeling of being threatened. And I think mm-hmm. that's, that's one dynamic. I think the other dynamic is that uh, some men still are in a position of authority and power and they feel that uh, women do not either deserve to be uh, at par with them or you know that they cannot share that Kind of platform, that space with a woman, which is something that we need to we need to change. A lot of the abuse that we see happening is because of that, that mentality that you know a woman can never be equal mm-hmm. to a man, and therefore if she is, it, she's doing something wrong, or she's uh, using other talents that are not uh, put on the CV to get to the position that she's gotten into. So there's all these mm-hmm. misconceptions around women empowerment that we as men need to we need to change how we think about these things. I think we're not we don't, we shouldn't feel threatened because who you are is, is who you are. The, life cannot take that away from you. Being a man is, is first of all, a biological thing, but it's also psychological in that you have to act in a certain way in order for you to to take your place as a man, the biology notwithstanding. I think, you know, we really need to change our our approach and our perspective on on women. I think being, uh, and I've seen this happen with some of my friends, being a father especially to girls has helped with that accelerate that pretty fast because you realize you know whatever bigotry you have whatever biases you have internally about women you realize that you're placing the same on your own daughters which kind of changes the dynamic for you because then you realize that all along you've looked at women in a certain way which is wrong from the very beginning and it sort of changes mm. things so i think it's something that we need to 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 do more uh, more often and, and i don't necessarily mean have daughters because you know we've no control over that but i think it changes your attitude <laughs> and your Perception of women, which is which is what we need to do.
0: So, your last point reminds me of of something. So, you know, my, generally, my question around what you've just said is, you know, how do you how do you bridge this gap, right? How do you help people, men in particular, not feel threatened by the changes happening around them? But I think something else that you've just said is something that I I think about often. And you know, when you hear celebrities say, you know, I didn't really respect women until I had a daughter, and or mm. male celebrities say that they didn't respect women until they had a daughter. And you never hear women say, I didn't respect men until I had a son. Because, like, even to me, like, that sounds strange. Like, how do you not respect someone until it happens to you? You know what I mean? So, in yeah, the absence yeah. of, of course, everyone having daughters, right? How, yeah, yeah. and not everybody has a sister, right? And people have mothers, but not all those relationships are great. You know, how do you begin yep. to have this conversation if the immediate kind of aha moment is not something that is available?
1: Um, well, I I once gave a talk at a a place um, somewhere in Nairobi, and uh, the topic was about unconscious or subconscious uh, gender biases that we have as as Mm. human beings, as Kenyans, really. And I think what that taught me is that part of the problem is that we don't recognize the biases that we have towards men or women. We don't think we're doing anything wrong because you don't see the bias that you you have. Now, we know we use simple examples like if you see uh, a woman, you know you're you know, you're driving in traffic, you stop at a red light, and pull uh, a big brand new Range Rover pulls up right next to you, and the person driving is a woman. You know what what comes to mind when you see that? And you know there was mm-hmm. all this talk about you know this could be her her father's car, or it could be her. She's a young girl with a sponsor who's uh, being taken care of by some rich old man or, you know, that's her husband's car or something of a sort. Uh, very few people would actually think, you know, that is actually her car. And she bought it mm-hmm. on, in her own right, you know. And it's a very subtle but very powerful bias that we have. You know, same car pulls up next to you mm-hmm. and there's a man driving it. You don't, you don't give it a second thought because it's obviously his car. You know, you don't know who he is. He could be somebody's son. That could be his mom's car. That could literally be his wife's car. I mean, we don't know. So we have certain biases in our day-to-day interactions with men and women that inform or reinforce these stereotypes and reinforce this, this, this behavior. Well, the first thing we need mm-hmm. to do is to identify what those biases are, and to realize that we all have them in many ways. I mean, if you if you walk into a shopping mall and you find a guy with a, a baby strapped to his back, you know, you know, a lot of things go through your mind. You know, you might think he's a responsible guy who's helping his wife take a break, or you might think, you know, he's the kind of guy who he gets run over by his wife. You know, his wife makes him do stuff, and he's got no power in the relationship. I mean, you've got no idea, but we all have these biases where gender is concerned, and I think he could also we need to. He could be a single father, exactly, you know? It could be any number of things, but we, we need to identify these biases. We need to recognize that we all have these biases. And that's the first step in in, in identifying this and, and being able to deal with this, with, with this dynamic. You know, you said that, what you're saying earlier about people saying they felt a certain way after having children uh, and it doesn't happen with, with mothers. In, in my view, in my experience, I think m- mothers are more because of having carried the pregnancy and because of the, the nurturing process that, you know, mothers are involved in in the early years of their, life, of their life, I think women have a different perspective on parenting than men do. And so for men, it's, it's kind of a surprise, like, whoa, okay, wow, this, this brand new experience. <laughs> um, but for, for, for women, I think even before you become a mother, there's a certain natural instinct that uh, I find women have towards child raising and child rearing which which we men don't have. It's unfortunate that we have to go through it and tough it out before we get to that point where we realize, you know, this is something, this is a good thing. I need to change the way I look at things. So that's I think that's a subtle difference between men and women. But at the end of the day, being able to highlight some of these biases is, is a first step to eliminating them. Um and just realizing that we all have them. I have them. I've caught myself many times. You're in traffic and a car zooms past you and it's a woman driving and you ultimately think, Wow, I can't let a woman drive past me. I mean, what does that say about me and my driving skills and my masculinity? And my instinct is automatically trying to say this. (laughs) It's a thing that I don't know where it comes from.
0: This is wild to me. Imagine we're just driving and you're
1: stressed. And- I, I would like you. I, I mean, you don't know who that woman is. you probably never see her ever again. She doesn't know you. She doesn't care. What she, she doesn't have an opinion about you either way. But you feel the need to show her, I can also drive as fast as you. Uh, and it's, it's a natural instinct. That comes to me all the time. I have to re- suppress it because it's, it's a natural instinct to me. So, so, I mean, there's, there's all these, these biases that we have. We, we believe that women can't do certain things. Women shouldn't do certain things. Women believe that men can't do certain things or shouldn't do certain things. These are all biases that we need to, to identify. We need to be, catch ourselves thinking about those things and stop thinking them. I think that would be a, a, a good step forward, I think.
0: So one thing to clarify is that I find, when in, in terms of women and their natural instinct, et cetera, I think that's definitely the case for some people. I think there are some women who have children and they're like, what do I do now? I think there's also a very a subset of the population that doesn't feel comfortable sharing the fact that they're mothers and they can't relate to their newborn or don't feel anything toward their newborn because that's the ultimate crime in motherhood. Or maybe there's many ultimate crimes. I don't know. I'm not there yet. But what I was saying was more about how, you know, you, what you don't hear is women saying, you know, it was having a son that made me respect men. Like, that's the thing that you don't hear. And I don't think that has anything to do with a natural instinct. And I just think it's the fact that we don't need parenthood to teach us how to respect the other gender because we kind of have to mm. <laughs> without it because it's not our world mm. just mm. yet you know whereas mm. men have the ability to say you know i never thought about this until now i'm trying to rear and protect a young woman and i think that's the difference it's well either it's we respect men already slash we may be in fear of them or you know i think there's i think what women maybe can say if they have Children, or the, if they have boys, is that perhaps their relationship to, to men has changed as a result, or, you know, being able to mold a young man is a very different experience. And, you know, I think that is definitely fair. But I think what you don't hear is women saying that they needed to give birth to a boy in order for them to respect women or men versus men who have said openly, you know, Jay Z, I believe, said this. There's a bunch of people yeah. who were like, you know, I didn't. I, Respect women until until I had a daughter. And it's like, why do you need a daughter to respect yeah. women? Like you had a mom first. <laughs> yeah. But again, I know that not everybody yeah. has positive relationships with their parents. Um, and I also realize that there are some yeah. people who were not raised, but just grew up.
1: I think the partner relationship is, is, is very different. I mean, I, I have a sister, I have a mom, um, I've grown up to some extent with women in, around me. But it's it's very different when you have a daughter, because this daughter is somebody who you have direct responsibility for molding and Mm. you have to to some extent a level of control over, or at least until they get to a certain age. And so that's very different from your mom, who the power dynamic is is the reversed, where your mom is the one who basically told you what to do. Right. And it's different from having a sister with whom you have equal um, or maybe not so equal um, power. You don't really have power over her. You don't have control over her. You can't tell her what to do unless she's like way younger than you and you're playing like a a, a guardian role to her. But for the most part, most of us grew up with sisters and we were at par. I mean, we were siblings like everybody else. If if stuff went wrong and uh, punishment needed to be meted out, uh, everybody gets it. So there was no, the power balance wasn't there. It's very different when you have mm-hmm. a daughter whom you have that, you know, paternal responsibility over and to whom you have to, you know, mold or exercise certain levels of, of, of control over. Uh, that's, that's a different mm-hmm. dynamic, which is why I think, and I, can, I, I get it, you know, being someone who also had a change of heart having had daughters, why someone like Jay-Z would feel that way. I don't know if maybe respect is... Um, Maybe not the right word. I don't know if that's the appropriate word. Maybe that's the word that sets it off. But the the dynamic is 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 still there. That this is someone who looks up to you. This is someone whose outcome in life largely depends on how you raise them. And that's that's a different dynamic altogether.
0: Okay, I appreciate that perspective. So, Amos, our last question is your your opportunity at redemption, <laughs> because I know we've had a few <laughs> questions where you know where you know you could have said something but didn't or a moment that you're, you know, you regret not getting involved and and not just, you know, basically just relying on the indignation silently to kind of convey your awareness and, you know, your thoughts as opposed to getting involved. So now we'd like to hear a time that you re- stepped up for women and how that made you feel.
1: So I think I may have alluded to an, an experience or two earlier on, you know, just ha- having the opportunity to help somebody else do things differently. Unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity to redeem myself where, you know, sexual harassment of my colleagues, et cetera, is concerned. I don't want to say I'm looking forward to it because I'm hoping it never happens. But uh, I think I'd be better placed to do something now with what I know and armed with what what I know now. Um, I've had opportunity in the very recent past to help sort of keep a family uh, together. You know, uh, I've had uh, Women come to me partly by virtue of, of my my work with, on YouTube through Papa Bear, etc. And other work that I do in the community, people come to me and they want help with with a marriage issue or a relationship issue. And I've had mm-hmm. uh, opportunity to uh, sort of help a marriage stay together. You know, set somebody straight, somebody who is straying out of line, has other relationships on the side and just trying to get them to realize the impact that's having on on the on the on the on the marriage on the on the woman. And I think that's been my little contribution. I can't say I look for it, It, it's sort of kind of finds me, but I've had opportunity on at least two or three occasions to to do that and Mm -hmm. to play that role of sort of like a mediator and, and bring some sort of harmony within within a home. I find that a lot of my my experience in this regard has been family and relationship oriented. I'm, I'm hoping that that continues to be the case. I'm hoping that I don't have to keep doing it, that, you know, somehow things get better. But I realized that um, there's always going to be need for that. And sometimes what men need is, uh, is another man, uh, maybe older, who can sort of set them straight. And I've, I've had opportunities to do that, just, you know, Talk to someone, give them some hard truth, and let them know what they're doing is not right, and they need to to change the way they're doing things. And yeah, I'd like to think that it's been successful. I guess time will tell. But there's there's been mm. opportunity for me to help sort of bridge the gap within within a, within a home and and help bring restore harmony to that home. I think that that's been helpful both for the family and for the, the the woman as well, because then you know she has a little bit more confidence in the relationship in the man um, as a result of that. So I think that's that's one of the roles that I've played. I definitely mm-hmm. hope that I get a chance to redeem myself where some of my colleagues are concerned if I ever get the chance to. I think I'd be a lot more firm about what I want to do and a lot more clear about how, how I, can, I can make a difference in that situation. But I hope I never have mm-hmm. to deal with another sexual harassment case uh, ever in my life. I um, hope it just doesn't happen. Um, and I know maybe I'm just being idealistic, but um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my hope.
0: Well, I can imagine, you know, as Papa Bear Kenya expands, that you will have undoubtedly more opportunities as you become you know, more well known for, for this topic. Um, so get ready is really what I want to say. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it's actually going to increase. Um, but hey, as I always say, when you know better, you do better. Yeah, that's true. Well, that concludes our first round of questions. But if you are a longtime listener, you know that we have a certain surprise segment. So this is questions that are super quick or by force by fire section, where you have two options and you yeah. quickly yeah. just have to pick one. Um, okay. So <laughs> you were not ready for this, but we start very easy, and it, it's th- this round is very simple. It's it's fine. So basically, you get two options. Just the first one, which one you prefer? Okay, ready, Amos? <laughs>
1: okay. <laughs> ah, okay. You know, there's a sound delay, so I hope that that helps me to gather my thoughts. But anyway, yes, I'm ready.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, still or sparkling? Still. Okay. We're aligned. Beard or nah?
1: Beard. Big, bushy, hairy beard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh memes or gifs
1: uh gifs gifs
0: okay okay safari or coast
1: uh coast am i supposed to explain my answers okay. or i just i just shoot out an answer
0: no 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 if if it requires one we we, we can d- drill deep <laughs> um okay. book versus kindle <laughs> book okay fork or knife
1: Whew. this depends on what i'm doing but knife
0: okay interesting No, I'm just kidding. We don't have to chill defense on that one.
1: If Uh, if it was fork or spoon, that's a bit different thing. But well, anyway.
0: No, that one was intentionally supposed to be random. Um, Well, thank you so much for (laughs) your time. Much, much appreciated. Thank you for helping us break the Africana glass ceiling. (laughs) Much appreciated.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. I hope uh, the conversation was enlightening. Um, and yeah, I mean, let me know what people think. Uh, if there's any questions that people have, I'm happy to answer the questions uh, later. I know podcast is going to come out later. But yeah, thanks for the opportunity. I think it's uh, it's an amazing conversation. It's an amazing thing what you guys are doing. So kudos.
0: Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. And to that end, how do our listeners find you if they want to either ask you a question or if they want to watch your videos?
1: Okay, so thanks for the plug. Um, so the the work that we're doing on fatherhood is Papa Bear Kenya. That's P A P A B E A R Kenya on YouTube and on Facebook. So both of them, Papa Bear Kenya, one word. And then I'm, I'm on social media as M Mutiga. That's M-M-U-T-I-G-A. M Mutiga. Um, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, so feel free to reach out if you if you want to have a conversation. And I'm also on on email, so it's mmutiga gmail.com m m u t i g a at gmail.com. So um, I'm available. Uh, If you have any questions for me, if you want to blast me, if you want to tell me off, or if you want to give me kudos or whatever, please feel free to reach out on any of those um, channels.
0: Well, listeners, you've been given all the tools to be great and reach out. So please do. And if you want to find our content, well, technically, if you're listening, you've already found us. But as always, we say you can reach out at Africana at Gmail or ask Africana rather at gmail.com, A S K A F R A C A N A H at Gmail. And we're at Africana on Twitter, on Instagram, and at Africana Podcast on Facebook. Thank you again, Amos. And thank you, listeners.